If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, Jesus is on trial. Don't know if it's an official trial. Don't know. He's before the leaders, the Jerusalem leaders. There are some that think that this is actually the Sanhedrin that he's standing in front of. But regardless, this is extremely formal. Jesus is not just chatting with them. He is giving a a defense exactly the same as you would in a courtroom. And he's bringing out one at a time all of his, what he has to say. And these people are enraged at him because he was already in trouble at the beginning. If you remember, he healed on the Sabbath day. He healed a man that was sitting on a sidewalk for 38 years. And he says, get up and take up your bed and walk out of here. And he did, and he was, the man was instantly caught by the hall monitors. There's always a hall monitor. Do you know how many hall monitors? There's always somebody that wants to, I don't know, point their finger in your face. And here's Jesus, God of heaven and earth, and they've got people pointing at him as so how, that he wasn't good enough. Somehow he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And Jesus is defending himself. And you think of whenever I try to defend myself, I'm trying to get out of trouble. Every word he says, he's in deeper and deeper and deeper hot water because he's making claims that they had no idea he was making. And so we'll see that in verse 17, he claims to be equal with God in person, that his person is the same as God, equal. In verse 19, he says he's equal to God in his works. What God does, Jesus does. The very same things that God does, Jesus say, that's my work. That's what I do day after day, just exactly like God. In verse 21, he claims to be equal to God in his power and his sovereignty. I can do anything that God can do. And I can do it as I please, the very same way that God can do it exactly as he pleases. He doesn't answer to anyone. And then he goes on, as though that's not enough. He goes on and he says he's equal to God in judgment. In fact, in this way, God has given all judgment to Jesus. That God will judge nobody, but that Jesus will judge all, not just the people that he's looking at, because that's exactly what he's saying. I'm going to judge you. But he is going to judge all living things. He will judge all of humanity. And then finally, he, just as a, to turn the knife, he says, I'm equal to God in honor. If you honor me, you honor God. But if you do not honor me, you do not honor the God you think you're honoring. And they're just, they're thunderstruck. They're absolutely, their mouths, they're gritting their teeth and their clenched jaws and they're just ready to kill him right on the spot. Because without a doubt, according to their thinking, he's a blasphemer and should not live should absolutely be put to death right now. Now, he continues in what we saw last week where he said, not only do I have the authority to judge you, but there will be a time when people will hear my voice and live, that he will raise the dead. And that, he said, in the time is coming and now is, meaning at the moment that he was speaking to them, he was already in the process of raising the dead that there were people that were dead in their trespasses and sins, offending God, uh, hating and being hated, 
and he brought them to life to where they were able to see God, interact with God, feel feel what God wants them to feel, that they were actually alive rather than dead. And then he said, don't be, don't be worried about what I'm saying. There is going to be a day coming where everybody in their tombs, all the dead of the earth, will hear the voice of the Son of Man and come out of their graves, summoned to, re- to the resurrection of the righteous and some to the resurrection of damnation. The, they don't even know how to process this. But he's going to continue. Okay? So let's start in verse 31. And we're going to read to the end of the chapter. This is God's word. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Jesus is speaking. There is another that bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from men, but these things I say that you might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the same works I do bear witness of me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself, which has sent me, hath borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape, and ye have not received of them, you think, uh, and you have not his word abiding in you, for whom he has sent, you ye believe not. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they which are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I'm come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe? which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God only. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses in whom you trust. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how can you believe my words? Do you see the tables have turned? I don't know if you've ever been sent to the principal's office and you're, you're weak in the knees and you have to stand when someone else is sitting. Jesus becomes the leader here, without a doubt. He's the one who's teaching them. He's the one who's instructing them. He's the one who is telling them something that they have to account to. Now, they still think that they have the power and they will take Jesus to the cross. But Jesus, even right now, is God Almighty speaking as God Almighty. He is speaking, and you do, not, you do not despise when God speaks. So you have a you have a courtroom without a doubt. This is a trial. Without any doubt, this is a trial. This is how a trial works. And verse 31 is confusing to a lot of people because it seems like Jesus just said, you can't believe me, you can't trust what I have to say. So let's just go through, and we'll go from 31 through 47 uh, and just try to unpack this and try to clearly look at it and see what it says. So first of all, it says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. 
without a doubt, Jesus is not saying you can't trust me. Um, seven times up to this point in the book of John, Jesus has said, verily, verily, I say it to you, which means he ends the word, he, ends, he starts the sentence with amen. The way you would end a prayer with amen, he's beginning it with amen, saying this is as absolutely sure as sure. This is more sure than the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. This is a more solid rock than the world you are standing on. Okay, so Jesus' words are not iffy. He doesn't lie. He doesn't uh, uh, slip into trying to spin anything. He's not a spin doctor. But what he's actually saying is, I am in a trial, and you cannot take my word only. Okay? Because if I'm witnessing about myself, my word is not, uh, doesn't stand up in a court. So the other day, Melissa and I bought a house, gulp, and we had to go to the lawyer's office to sign the papers. Okay? It's just a paper. And the bank said, I'll give you this many millions of dollars. No, it wasn't millions of dollars. I'll give you this much money if you promise to pay me back a lot more money than we, than we loaned you. But they wouldn't just let us sign the paper and return it to the bank because they need to know that we signed that paper, that it wasn't signed by someone else. So we had to go to the lawyer, and the lawyer actually got a fee for sitting there and watching us sign our name because you have to have a notary in order to do something official. Well, Melissa has a notary at the Craigsville Public Library. Check her out. She couldn't sign our paper. She could not say, here's my signature proving that Brian signed the papers because she was vested there. So she cannot witness to herself. So she had to be, a, she had to be an impartial witness. So Jesus is saying, I could tell you the truth, but I can't, you, this is a trial and you cannot hold this as, as what it is. So Deuteronomy says that the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses, shall he that's worthy be put to death, but at the amount of one witness he shall not be put to death. See, Jesus knows that this is, a, this is a capital trial. He knows. They don't know quite yet that this is a capital trial. They want to kill him. It already said it at the beginning of this chapter, that they wish to kill him because he was healing on the Sabbath day, and they even more were willing to kill him because he was making himself equal with God. So in the backs of their minds, they may not even have talked to each other about it. Every one of them individually already knew this man's going to die. So this was a capital trial, and Jesus, of course, knew that. And he said, I can't, I can't witness to myself. He needs cooperation. You need cooperating witnesses. And Jesus is going to call four witnesses the rest of this chapter to his trial. Okay. Now, it's interesting that he starts 32... Like you would imagine that he's going to call four witnesses. He starts with 32. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. So he's basically recognizing that, that it doesn't really matter. If you can trump me up before a kangaroo court if you wish, and justice is trampled on every day of the world. Every day the sun comes up, justice is, is abused. But there is one that I really only appeal to, and that's God Almighty. God can vindicate me. God can totally uh, exonerate me. He doesn't, I don't have to stand here before this trial. There is a, a judge that I could appeal to higher than you. But I'm going to go through your game. 
So he kind of puts that on the on the hold. Basically, he says, there is one that bears witness of me, and I know his witness is true. And then he goes on. Okay? So it starts then in verse 9 of 1 John. I just wanted to tell you that that the only the only one that counts is God. And this is John, the same writer who's writing in his, epistle, or in his letter, said this. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. So if God considers something to be important, it's important whether men think it's important or not. If God considers something true, let all men be liars and let God be true. Really, that's what he's saying. You want to be, you want a trial and you want to appear like this is justice, fine. But God is really the only one that counts ultimately anyway. And Jesus is just making that clear before he goes on with this. So he's going to call four witnesses. First one he's going to call is John the Baptist. This is uh, verse 33. You sent to John, and he bare witness unto the truth, but I received not the testimony of men, but these things I say that you might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in that light. He reminds them that those people themselves, these, these people that Jesus is speaking to right now, were the leaders that sent investigators to John. They're the ones. Do you remember? This is from verse 19 in John chapter 1. And this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Okay, so these are the very people who needed to know everything about everything. Okay, they were trying to stay, stay with their thumbs on every in every pie, and they came and they sent someone to John, who are you? Are you the prophet? Are you Elisha? Are you the Messiah? And John said, no, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. So he said, you sent to John. And then it's interesting, he said, um, he bared witness to the truth. Now, the, when he bears witness to the truth, what was John's job? If you remember at the very beginning in chapter 1, which we looked at, we looked at John the Baptist, this is verse 7, the same came for a witness to bear witness to the light. So John's purpose was to give witness that he was a witness to the light. Jesus was the light that all mine through him might believe. Now tie those two verses together. Jesus just said, I'm appealing to John the Baptist that you might be saved. I'm appealing to him. I don't need the testimony of men. But I'm appealing to him that you might be saved because what was his job? His job was to bear witness to the light. And as he bore witness to me, that points people to me that they might be saved. Even you. Even you who right now are my accusers. Who, even you who are counting yourself as my enemies could be saved if you will listen to John the prophet. Right? So what did John say? I'm not the Christ. I'm not the prophet. There's one that you don't know that I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. And then he shouts to all of them, to everybody watching, behold, there's the, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So John bore witness to Jesus that he is the Son of God, the Messiah. Now, this is the prophet that everyone knew. John the Baptist was way more popular than Jesus was. John, there was nobody in any little town in any family that hadn't heard of John the Baptist. Everybody did. He was a superstar. There were many people who hadn't heard of Jesus. 
But John, everybody had heard of, and John said, that is God Almighty. He's the one who takes away the sins. Do you not realize that he is pointing people to me and you are looking at me? And you could be saved if you simply take his testimony. That's the first witness that he calls. And it's interesting. He said he, said he was a shining light. The word he uses is lamp. He was a shining lamp. But when John speaks in chapter 1 of Jesus, he said he bore witness of the light. And the word is not a lamp. The, the word is light. The word is light itself that comes from a lamp. John shone light. And it said, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light, that he was a little shining lamp so bright that you could bask in that light. I don't know exactly what bask means. I guess it's the idea of light shining on your face. You could bask in that. His light was so strong that it could shine to all kinds of people, but he was referring to me who really is light. And I'm standing opposite you, and you in your hearts want to kill me right now. Okay, that's, that's interesting. So he goes and he calls a second witness. This is verse 36. But I have a greater, greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Okay, so what is he appealing to? His miracles. The miracles is a witness. So I have to ask myself, I stop. What's the purpose of a miracle? If you were to ask people now in today's culture here, what would a miracle do or what would a miracle suggest or what would a miracle uh, prove? And most people would say that there's a God. But at this time, that was absurd. There's nobody that didn't think there was a God. God didn't do miracles in the Old Testament so that people would think there was a God. Everyone knew there was a God. What were the purposes of the miracles? All right. So the first thing I wrote down is miracles authenticate the messenger. It shows everybody in town this actually is a messenger from God. You're not going to do a miracle. God isn't the one doing a miracle. So I have to give you the definition of miracle. A miracle by definition is something only God can do. Only God can do a miracle. Satan can't do miracles. I want to be as clear as possible. Satan doesn't do miracles. A miracle, by definition, is something only God can do. Only God can do a miracle. So when God does a miracle, it's not to prove that he exists. God does a miracle so that the people in that little local area that's watching it knows that the messenger is sent from him. It's an authentication. Right? That's the first thing I see. It validates not just that he's the messenger, but what he just said was the message. Okay, so it's really two things. It's this person, I sent this person, and remember the prophets? <clears throat> if a prophet says something and it doesn't come to true, put him to death. Because he's prophesying something almost as a miracle. I'm telling him something that will happen. I'm bringing it to pass. If it happens, and I told you in advance, then he is my spokesman. If it doesn't happen... And he's making it up. And anybody can be a pet psychic. What an easy job that would be. Okay? Oh, I think your dog says that he misses you when you're gone. Okay? I, I, somebody makes money on that. The whole idea of nobody can prove me wrong, so therefore I can say anything I want, or a prophet can say anything he wants, but if it doesn't, then there's no problem. 
And so God said it validates not just that this person is authenticated as my messenger, but what he said is the message. And it does something more. The people right there who saw it cannot see it without reverence for God. Suddenly it's awestruck. It's awe-inspiring. It brings fear. It It brings you to reverence God. So what it does is it brings that immediate person to the fact that you are in God's presence right now. This person is, is God's messenger, and what he just said is God's message. Listen to what he just said. Now, let me see if I can prove it to you. Just to be nice to Josh, I did not put any of these on, on the screen, okay? We would be here till 3 o'clock. I'm just going to go through, and I want you to think back. If one of you been to Sunday school, all right? First one I wrote down was Exodus 7. There were 10 plagues on Egypt, 10 plagues, all miracles that only God could do. And the Egyptians were watching these miracles and the Hebrews were watching these miracles. And the result of the miracles was that without exception, they knew that Moses was sent from God. It was an authentication that God was sent, was doing something. Moses spoke it. This is what's going to happen tomorrow. And it happened. And when Pharaoh said, make it stop, Moses said, when do you want me to have it stop? And Pharaoh said, tomorrow. I never understood that. Why not right now? Like immediately. But he said, tomorrow. And he said, okay, tomorrow it'll be gone. And it was gone tomorrow. At Moses' word, it happened. Okay. Then in, in chapter 14, they get to the Red Sea. The Egyptians are coming at them. And God says, hold up your staff and command the ocean to part. And Moses raises up his staff and and says, behold, the power of God and the ocean opens up. And not only does it open up all the way dry to the basement layer of that sand, they all walk across and then it caves in on the army that's coming after them. Caves in on them. What does it show? It doesn't just show that this, is, that this is his messenger and that his message was right, but that Moses has authority and that stick that became a snake was raised up and the ocean parts away. This is God that's doing it. Moses didn't do a trick for everybody. This God did it. It, it authenticated Moses and, and showed that he had authority to do what he was saying he was doing. Go to Joshua. The walls of Jericho fall outward I don't know if that makes any sense to you. It falls this way as it's being attacked. The city's being besieged from the outside of the walls, and the walls fall outward towards the outside, and they all come in over the walls. What does it prove? It proves that Joshua received instructions on how to conquer a city from God. It, it, it authenticates Joshua as God's person. I get to judge, uh, judges. Samson was chained and blinded. By the Philistines. And they were laughing at him and poking at him and making him grind grain. And they bring him into the temple when they're having a big drunken party and just to laugh at him. And he says, show me where the columns are. He pulled the temple down. And he killed more Philistines on his deathbed than he did ever in his lifetime because he proved that he was still God's man. It was an authentication. That was a miracle. Don't think it was a miracle. I don't care how many, how many muscle fibers you've got. 
You're not going to pull down the columns of a, of, a, of a temple. But he did. When you get to 1 Samuel, Samuel has just been told that they want a king. And he's like, oh, wait, like, you're not going to like this. He tried to reason with them, and they wouldn't be reasoned with. And Samuel said, do you see this guy? Rain. And it thundered and rained and lightning right out of the blue sky, straight upon all of them at once. He didn't do a parlor trick so that people would go, oh, that's cool. They feared God because God said, his voice is my voice. He's saying what I'm saying. He is the guy to listen to. And they were so stupefied that they were like, wow, can we still have a king? That's exactly what they did. Then I get to 1 Kings, and Elijah has just poured a gallon of, of absolutely rare water on wood and called down fire from the sky, and it consumes the, the sacrifice dedicated to God Almighty. Why? Because Elijah was the only prophet left, he thought. The only prophet. And there was a prophet in Israel, and God proved it by, by vindicating him. He's been speaking, and the Ahab wanted to kill him, and Jezebel wanted to kill him, and everybody wanted to kill him. And God was like, don't worry about this, I got it. Then I go to 1 Kings 18, or no, uh, 2 Kings 5. Elisha was, was met by a, by a general of the Assyrians. And Elisha says, he doesn't even go out to him. He just said, just go down to the Jordan and dip yourself seven times and your leprosy will be gone. And Naaman walks away going, oh, aren't there cleaner waters in Assyria that I have to go to in the, you know, dip in a mud hole? So he goes and he dips and he is healed because he said, let them know there is a prophet in Israel and there's still a God in Israel. By there being a prophet in Israel, there was showing that there was a God in Israel. God was vindicating him by his works. The miracle was to authenticate the messenger. The son went backwards up the stairs in Hezekiah's sundial. Isaiah comes in and says, you're going to die. Get your affairs in order. And, and Isaiah is walking down the, the palace steps, and Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and cries and begs God for life. And God said, stop. And Isaiah stops. And Isaiah turns around and comes back up to the palace. And he said, God just said that you will live. And he said, but how will I know? And Isaiah said, watch your sundial. Sitting on the porch watching the sundial. And the sundial went backwards. Why? So that Isaiah could do a trick? No, it was to show that the message that he said was going to happen. It was an authentication. Daniel spent an entire night with closed mouth lions. And his accusers spent five or six seconds with those same lines. It was to authenticate the messenger. And Jesus is saying, it ought to be enough that I am healing people and I am raising the dead and that I am restoring people and I am doing things that only God can do. That should be enough for you. You are the masters of Israel. You should know these things. 
It should prove that I'm who I am. When, when Jesus was doing miracles, Jesus is God doing miracles by the Holy Spirit. You remember? The Holy Spirit was upon him. He was filled with the Spirit to do miracles because God was vindicating that he was who he was. Now, ultimately, his vindication will be the resurrection without a doubt. So Jesus pulls his third witness. Verse 37. And as the and, and the Father himself, which has sent me, hath borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape, and you have not his word abiding in you, for whom he has sent him you believe not. Jesus is saying, obviously, you weren't at my baptizing. At my baptizing, you heard God's audible voice saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It happens twice. We all, we saw, we saw that it happens, that it happens at his baptizing and it happens at the transfiguration twice. God speaks from the heavens in, in such a way that people are just like, what? And God speaks directly to the people. So I don't care about God says that I believe it, it settles it. When God speaks, it settles it. It's settled. When God's almighty, Lord omnipotent speaks, it's done. And if he says, this is my son, believe him, listen to him, that should be all that you would be required. That should be the only proof you need. You do not need me to do tricks. God has spoken. That should be everything that is needed by a, by a, a man made out of dust. So Jesus is God's final revelation to man. It says in Hebrews that in the past God spoke through the prophets, but now he speaks through his son. Okay? And those who reject the son are rejecting the father. Where's the father? Jesus answered, you've neither seen me nor my father. If you'd have known me, you would have known my father also. So you have to realize that those who love Jesus, though we have not seen him, those who love him, have an eternal witness of the Holy Spirit that they are known of God. So we read in Galatians chapter 4, we read up to verse 7, verse 9 of chapter 4 is basically there, he's, he's slapping the Galatians on the head because they want to do all these religious -y things. They want to keep special days. They want to be special on the new moon because in, Ju in Judaism they had a new moon festival, so we should have one in we should have one too. We should have all these kind of special times. Well, some people think of it as special and some people think of every day as the same. Don't despise each other. So if you keep Christmas, keep Christmas. Get me a present. But if you don't, I'm not going to despise you for that. If you think that every day is a holy day because Jesus Christ is alive, hallelujah. If you think that Sundays is better than Saturdays and you don't lie on Sundays and you don't do your laundry on Sundays, well, I wouldn't do my laundry any day, but don't worry about it. Jesus is alive and Jesus is your rest and Jesus is your Sabbath. So if you want to have a Sabbath, I'm not going to despise you because if you think you should, you better do it. If you think you should. If you don't think you should, first of all, read your Bible make sure that you shouldn't. Then don't despise me if I do. You understand? That's living together in love. And that's all of it. 
But if you love God, you have an internal witness that you are known of God. That was verse 10. You know God, or rather, Paul says, you are known of God, meaning God knows you because you love his son. God knows you, and that's what's all that's important, and that's what Jesus is appealing to. He's appealing to God being judged because I know God, you don't have his words in you, and you do not know him. Then his last one is his, the scriptures. This is verse 39. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me, and you will not come to me that you might have a life. I receive not honor of men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you shall receive. How can you believe which receive honor from one another and seek not the honor that comes from God only? Don't think that I'll accuse you before the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom you trust. For had you believed Moses... You would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? Jesus was not talking to the liberals here. Jesus was talking to the black Bible-carrying fundamentalists. These are the people who did their own Bible studies. These are people who met in Bible studies. These are people who knew wherever all the commas were. These are people who knew their Bible and searched their Bible. And he was like, oh, what a pity. You are searching your Bible thinking you have eternal life. Now, when he pauses there, it made me stop. My next question to myself was, Jesus just said, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. And my next question was, does studying the scriptures lead to eternal life? Yes. If what? If it leads you to Jesus. I was brand new Christian, brand new Christian. I think I was probably three or four months old, and I had already read probably half of the New Testament. There is a taste for reading. I'm a bad reader. I'm an LD reader. I hate reading. I can't get it. I, I have to study. I have to bang my head against the wall. But I was reading the Bible, and there was a, there was an, a janitor that I had met who who met me and he was sweeping the floor where I was and he was saying, oh yeah, I read the Bible every single day. And I immediately went, really? Can we study together? And he was like, yeah, I love to read the Bible. I read it every single day. And so we met together and I met him and I talked, no kidding. I was brand new Christian, completely wet behind the ears. This guy talked for 15 minutes and I knew he didn't know God. Knew it. This man did not know God at all. Everything he said was weird, just crazy, weird. Have you ever known a, a weirdo religious guy? Weird. You're like, this is not godliness. This has nothing to do with loving God through Jesus. This is, so, this is kooky. And he read it every day and didn't get anything from it. I met with him once. And I, I was stupid. Why would I not know to say, well, let's just keep going. We'll just do it again next week. I knew, like, today was my last day with you. Because... because you can read the Bible and not know anything just because you search the scriptures because if the scriptures lead you to Jesus, then the scriptures is leading you to eternal life because life is found in the Son. Do you remember what we read at the beginning? The two in the, that were walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus comes and starting in the prophets and the Psalms and the writings, which meant, which meant the Torah and the Psalms and the Ecclesiastes, all of the, all of the, the wisdom and 
the histories. He showed every passage how it related to Jesus. Jesus taught them the Bible where he was the teacher, talking about Jesus as being the subject. And they were astonished. And then he departs from them, and they sat and they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? As he opened up the word to us and showed us himself in it, didn't our hearts just burn? Because the eternal witness of the Holy Spirit is, this is true. This is true. So when the crazy guy talks to you about his crazy ideas, the, the Holy Spirit in you just goes, Bleh. The sheep hear my voice and follow me, and they will not follow the voice of the stranger. And I promise you, you will have black Bible strangers all of your life who do not know God at all. So you run from them, and you do not, you do not even wish them Godspeed. You run to God because the Bible testifies about me. And it says, I don't receive honor from men. Jesus, the most deserving of honor in the universe, because the people who don't love him, he doesn't want them to be fakes. This is Matthew 22. And they sent out to them disciples with the Herodians saying, Master, we know that you are true and that you teach the way of God in truth. Neither care thou for any man, but you regard the person of a man. They were trapping him. They wanted him to say something that they could use in a trial to, to kill him with. But they came up with slick words. Jesus doesn't want to be honored by someone who's a liar in their heart. If you want to come to Jesus in humility, he'll accept you. If you want to come to be manipulating, using Jesus for your own goods, Jesus will, first of all, foil you in your plans and then judge you for eternity. That's just the way it works. He receives no honor from man. How can you receive honor from another and seek not the honor that comes from God? Because they're blind. You, that's what we do. We seek honor from each other. That's what you do. You, wanna, you want somebody to feel good? Give them an honor. You want somebody to come to your, to your graduation? Give them a diploma. They'll come to your graduation. I, I promise. The president will come and speak at your graduation if you give them a, a degree. He'll come. Because everybody wants honor. Jesus is like, why would you want honor from other dust mites when God is not giving you honor? That's what he said. Do you think I'll accuse you, but Father, Father? There's one that accuses you, even Moses, whom you trust. Remember Lazarus, the rich man, was in, was in prison in hell. And he said, oh, Father Abraham, I have five brothers. Go to them. Go to them and tell them that they not come to this horrible place. And Moses said, or Abraham said, I'm sorry, first of all, there's a gulf fixed between you and me. We can't go there and you can't come here. But they've got Moses. They've got Moses. It's read every Sabbath day. And your brothers can come to the Lord the same as all people come to the Lord. And that is they're confronted with the voice of God who can raise the dead and pull you out. And Jesus walks away from his trial. Here are the people who have every ability to arrest him right now on the spot. And he walks by because his time has not yet come. Because we're only in chapter 5. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we fear you. We respect you and we honor you. And we want to listen to you and we want to obey you. And we're terrible at it. And we ask for your help. That we might uh, give you great glory in this world. And that we not, not be frauds in front of you. I ask that you would, that you would uh, arrest our hearts, 
And if we've not trusted, I beg you that you would open our minds and hearts that we might trust you to our eternal life. And that also we would honor you truly and not be, not be in any way uh, um, your enemies. Give us grace, we pray, that we might praise you well, that we might praise you with our lives, and we praise you with our lips, that we praise you with our time. And we thank you that you are great in this place and in this world and forever in eternity. Thank you for our Savior. Thank you for our temple that we can pray towards and that you will hear and meet with us. We give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.